The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, so, dude, uh, are we back on the bike? We are back on the bike in a tentative way, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, everything's very tentative, you know. Uh, I have pedaled, I've sat, I have pedaled, I have not been crippled. Uh, tomorrow morning is my, or uh, I guess by the time this goes up, yesterday morning, uh, I have my regular ride with my regular uh, crew, and I said that I would come along for at least some of the miles. Awesome. So we'll, we'll see for real how it goes. That is, that is wonderful to hear. I'm, I'm glad of it. And you are uh, you are uh, back in the in the Memphis. I'm I I still Memphising. Um, yeah, you're still Memphising. I guess you were in Memphis last week. We recorded as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. My trips here have been two weeks long, and it's been a good thing because uh, my mom's back in the hospital. Fortunately, uh, after this, I get to go pick her up. But uh, it turns out I was a little more prescient than I really understood when i started planning these trips um back last winter so yeah um you know i'm i'm doing what i need to for my family and yeah then, it's a gift yeah a gift to be able to show up for the people who need us right yeah and by the time everyone is hearing this uh i'll be back in santa rosa being dad again um and unfortunately my cat will still be here in memphis the, hence the jingling in the background. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, it, is a, it is a challenging time in life where you have to show up for your parents and show up for your kids simultaneously. I, I can very much relate. Yeah, sandwich generation for the win. Yeah. Um, or at least for the spread too thin. Uh, <laughs> for the spread too thin, sounds right. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what are you pulling on today? Yeah, let's talk about bikes. Um, so we had some topic suggestions from reader John Rom seven one nine, whose handle I always read as Johnny Romano, uh, who's which is not this guy's name, I don't think. Uh, but Johnny Romano was a guy I knew in college, and uh, it's just fun to say Johnny Romano. So I don't know if that's uh, John's real name, but anyway, John said for aging cyclists. Comfort becomes more important. See robots back if examples are needed. <laughs> what are your favorite or most effective tips on making cycling more comfortable and less likely to cause injury? He says perhaps by discipline, but I don't think it breaks down quite that way. And he says this could be a product or yoga or strength training or stretching or a technique. Um, so. 
Here are just a few suggestions based on my personal experience and not any expertise. I just want to be very clear <laughs> about the source of the information you are receiving now. My first suggestion is uh, slow down. <laughs> just, just slow down. This is tough advice to give because going fast is a, obviously a big part of the thrill of riding bikes, but I learned actually a lot while training for ultra marathons last year that slowing down has its own kind of benefits. Uh, you see and feel and smell different things when you're moving more slowly, mm -hmm. which, is, which are good things. Um, the other nuance to this is you don't need to slow down all the time. Maybe you just need, don't need to be on the hammer all the time. I'm saying, you know, pick and choose your moments of transcendence. We know that, you know, going fast on the bike, you know, you, you can achieve flow states, thrills, grins, all the good stuff, but maybe you don't have to be at it hammer and tongs all the time. Um, this, this approach will make your rides last longer, keep you more comfortable, uh, reduce injuries. This is advice that I'm giving, but I also very much need to take. <laughs> Just slow down. That's everywhere in my life. Mm, mm. Yesterday, yesterday I tried to open a new loaf of bread and apparently whoever put the twist tie on was left-handed and it took me, <laughs> it took me <laughs> an embarrassingly long amount of time to figure that the twist was twisted the opposite direction. So that's just, that's just a little window into my day. So <laughs> number two on my list of suggestions, uh, is predictably get a bike fit. Uh, we've talked about this before. Um, yep. especially older cyclists whose bodies adapt, uh, to poor ergonomics less well than younger bodies. Getting mm -hmm. a fit dialed in will go a long, long, long way. Mm -hmm. It's sort of uh, tautological or axiomatic or very obvious, so I'm not going to say more about it. Get a fit. Book it. Do it. <laughs> Quit screwing around. <laughs> Number three. Despite what I wrote in this week's useless review, pay a little attention to tire pressure. Um, <laughs> just a little, um, less obviously you just have to think about tire pressure. Like you would think about suspension, how much is right for the type of riding you're doing. I'd, I'd argue actually the, that the, uh, go fast, go slow paradigm I mentioned above sort of overlaps with your approach to tire pressure. You'll want higher pressures theoretically to roll faster. Uh, but softer tires are often more comfortable. They actually often have better traction and then subsequently lead to faster rolling. So it's just not as straightforward as you think, um, especially in rough terrain. Also, older bodies don't absorb shock and vibration very well. Mm, mm, mm. Maybe think about dropping your tire pressure a little and accepting whatever speed penalty comes with that. Pneumatics is the OG suspension. <laughs> Truth. Um, number four, and John mentioned this in his question, do yoga, um, just a little every day. This is another one I really need to commit to myself. Um, pliability and flexibility are the big parts of fitness that we usually neglect. 
uh, and a bigger and bigger part the older we get. Uh, it's fantastic to be strong. Mm. Uh, you know, strength training isn't a bad idea. But if your muscles aren't pliable and your tendons and ligaments won't flex and stretch to support your strength, you're going to end up hurt. Mm -hmm. Take it from me. <laughs> I don't believe you have to do an hour of yoga daily to get the benefits. I'm saying if you do 15 minutes of good mobility work and, you know, forget about like, oh, I'm going to find a class or I'm going to do this. Don't make this task too big. Get up in the morning, turn the coffee maker on, and while it's doing its thing, stretch and move. Do dynamic stretching, not static stretching. This is the, the kind of magic of yoga, is that a lot of the, the, the poses flow from one to another, and it's actually all along that flow, all along the dynamic movement of the muscles and tendons and ligaments where you gain the benefit. So I'm saying 15 minutes of good mobility work will gain you huge latitude to go outside and thrash yourself. <laughs> There's a ton more stuff. There's a ton more, you know, technology around suspension. There are suspension stems and suspension seat posts, and you can invest money in all of those things. I think that is really, ter there are, those are tertiary and incremental gains. I think if you do just the basic stuff I've talked about so far, you're going to make big progress. And I think if you can just commit to the things that we've talked about already, which are slowing down a little bit, getting a bike fit, um, take advantage of your bike's natural, or, or I shouldn't say natural, but inbuilt suspension uh, mechanisms, including tire pressure and do some yoga. And, uh, I think that if you do those things, you're, you've done a lot. Indeed. Um, as usual with these listener questions, I feel like I could write a whole book on the subject, uh, but I'm going to leave it there for today. What, what did I miss? What was obvious? What are your suggestions, Patrick? You know, I love all of those and it, I don't really feel like you missed anything. I would add, you know, more more practical details uh to those um like uh you know well i don't i don't have much helpful to say about slow down but in terms of getting a bike <laughs> fit um uh if someone is buying a new bike make sure that you have the fitter cut the steerer long you know at least two centimeters above where the proper current proper position for the stem is leave at least two centimeters above the stem and just put some spacers in there um one of the worst things anybody can do in getting fit on a bike is to be boxed into a position that can't be adjusted that's one of the things that i still am upset about the loss of quill stems um you know in the winter we'd all raise our stems up you know to the minimum insertion line and as the season went on, we started feeling like badasses. We'd start lowering our stems. And I, you know, at the shops I worked at, that was a point of conversation. Ooh, I lowered my stem another half centimeter, you know? Um, and so it's yeah. a bit of a point of pride. But um, since we don't have that now, you got to just leave the steer cut longer and put some spacers um, above where you actually need so that should you, dear listener, go all pear-shaped like John and uh, have back trouble, 
you can get on your bike and then, you know, move the bar up to ask less of your bike uh, while it's still healing. So that's a- I think it's not a terrible idea to go up a centimeter or two in the off season, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, like when you're doing softer, easier, shorter rides, like, you know, why not? You're, you're, you don't need to be in the air. This is, goes back to go slower, you know, ease ease up on yourself during periods so that your body can recover. And that could even mean, you know, pull those spacers uh, from the top and put them underneath and just cruise like that through the winter months. Very uh, much. Not a terrible plan. Yeah. 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 Uh, on the subject of tire pressure, I'll say that my experience has shown me that most folks are overinflating their tires. Um, yeah. All the time. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm always amazed when I meet somebody who's got a 40 millimeter tire on their gravel bike and it's pumped up to 65 PSI. It's like, oh, you're not planning to recreate. If there are are two things you can assume about most people, you know, walking through the door of a bike shop with a bike, it's that their saddle height is too high and their tire pressure is also too high. It's that those are common things. Absolutely. Um, also, um, based on what I've heard from an awful lot of, uh, very knowledgeable tire people, most tires kind of have an optimal pressure range. It's not as, um, uh, it's not as, you know, pressure to taste as one might think. Um, you know, it's, uh, a lot of tires will roll best you know, have a, have a sweet spot, um, in their range. And, um, I, um, I like 28 millimeter tires for road riding. I like them a lot. I don't like 25s anymore. Um, I'm not doing fast group rides. Um, so that's not a big deal, but I still go pretty quick, but I'm, I'm pumping 28s up to somewhere between 70 and 75 PSI. And right. they roll really well. And uh, given the lousy surface of many of the roads in my area, um, it's it's really helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think when we talk about comfort and we talk about injury, we think about big hits. We think about, you know, people talk about, oh, this pothole or that surface and i think the bigger deal is vibration and uh small um small frequency yeah um impacts uh because it's those things that accumulate like your body will deal with a big hit unless there's a crash involved uh your body will deal with one-off things but if you subject it to three hours of rattle um, that's where you start to really, the things, your, your muscles and ligaments really start to break down. Yeah, very much. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, when I'm running forties, I don't ever run more than 36 PSI. And usually it's, you know, more like 32, 34. Um, mm-hmm. I've got some that because of just the way they mated with the rim, I was running as low as 28 PSI. Um, but that was more, you know, it's like, I'm, uh, I'm going to be on really rough surfaces and I want good traction. And I'd also like to have an intact undercarriage after all this. So, yeah. 
And for those of you who uh, ascribe to the squeeze test, as I outlined it in this week's useless review, you, you want to pr- pump that 40 to about medium rare. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, your, your last point, do yoga. I'm, I'm with you on that, and I have gone AWOL off of my own uh, yoga practice. And because I am living this, not exactly a bi-coastal life, but it's a bi-location life, um, I have taken to doing the free yoga classes that are on Amazon Prime. There are half-hour yoga classes that you can get for free put them on your TV and do yoga right there in your living room. And, um, yeah, uh, I need to get back to it. Hopefully I will say, you know, 48 hours from now, but yeah, uh, I'm with you. You know, a lot of times people get intimidated by yoga because they think, Oh great. There's $30 a day. I'm not going to have any more. Um, and fortunately, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, if you can go to a studio and take a class occasionally, I think that's really great. Um, you get good input from the uh, the teachers mm-hmm. uh, as far as your postures and, and correct form and all of that. But um, YouTube is full of free yoga. Uh, there's f- yoga specifically for cyclists there. The other thing is I wouldn't get hang- hung up on like, oh, I need a yoga mat or I need... You don't need anything. You don't. You need an expand, a clear expanse of floor and a few minutes to like figure it out. And if you can just do something every day, consistency is much more important than intensity or, uh, you know, this isn't a thing to achieve. It's just a thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons people consider yoga a spiritual practice, much the way you and I think of cycling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm spiritually bereft in both realms. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think at that, we will take a break and be back in just a okay. minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported, with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll. What do you got for us this week? Well, we often speak of fear in our lives. Uh, Fear of relationships, fear of the future, fear of money woes, fear of the government, fear of COVID, hell, fear of music. Okay, apologies to the talking heads. Um, but fear is a thing and it's a big component in anxiety. And I don't have too many people in my life who are close to me who don't experience some amount of anxiety. But what we don't often talk about is despair. Despair is, I think, next level fear. 
It's fear informed by current circumstances, but with the addition of another little wrinkle. Um, despair rises once hope is extinguished. And that isn't the stuff of anxiety. It's the stuff of depression. For me, in my head, I go back over how I got to that place. And I begin to think things not only won't get better, they can't get better. Now, this may sound like the stuff of a self-help show or something, but I bring it up because of just how relevant cycling is to dealing with despair. In my daily life, I can't always see past despair. Um, and as someone who has dealt with just ne nearly but not quite crippling depression, um, I, uh, I have a, a, a lease in this area. Um, but uh, I've despaired on the bike many times. And because all rides are finite in length, I've seen over and over how there is no such thing as all is lost. I think the worst I ever had in terms of despair on the bike came around the 115 mile mark in a 137 mile event. Uh, it was the ride of the immortals, which climbed up the Eastern Sierras, crossed the mountains, went over Sherman Pass at more than 9,000 feet, dropped to the Kern River, and then turned around and doubled back. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I, you know, if I if I'm going to poke sufficient amounts of fun at myself, I'll just say, you know, that really alone should have been cause for despair. Uh, I'm not sure "Ride of the Immortals" is the right uh, <laughs> right term. That seems like putting the cart in front of the horse. But go on. <laughs> well, um, it had some nineteen thousand feet of climbing. Okay. Most I ever did. No, not the most I ever did. Most of it I ever did in an event, but not the most I ever did in one day. Uh, I once had a day of 26,000 feet of climbing in the Alps. Um, I, I was young and foolish. Um, that's my only excuse. So I had 20-ish miles to go when I had a flat. My buddy pulled over and waited for me. And then we got back on the road and then I had another. And at that point, I told him to go ahead, thinking, you know, I'll fix this. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to take a minute or two, but I'll catch him on the final descent to the finish because I was a significantly faster descender. Well, no sooner did I get that one fixed than I had a third flat. And I was out of tubes because I used a small seat bag that held only two tubes. And so I had to wait for a support vehicle. And that took, I think, a solid half hour. Uh, it could have been longer. I don't know. Uh, in that half hour, I began to worry that the sun would go down on me, that I'd suffer hypothermia, that I would finish bonking, that I might be eaten by a bear, that my friends <laughs> at the bottom of the canyon might leave me. Um, but then a support vehicle did show up and I got my flat fixed. And I got back on the bike with 20 or so miles to go. Uh, so what I'm saying here is that my despair, even at that point, was still not at an end. I was tired, underfueled, dangerously low on hydration. In the end, none of that matters. I did finish the ride. I got down the very quick descent safely and back to my friends. All was right with the world. 
where, you know, an hour before, like I was ready to pull out all the hair on my head. Um, I just thought this is it. This is, this is the worst. I'm never going to get through this. And, oh, look, I'm sitting in a car. Um, so no matter how much I've despaired in my daily life, I've always come through. Always. I like to kid that nothing has killed me yet. Um, but be beyond being good for a laugh, it's very true in an important sense in that nothing has crushed my spirit. Uh, I've always rebounded. I've always found the, the help that I need, you know, be it a friend, counseling, a mentor, uh, family, you know, the help is always out there. Um, and so it's, it's when I think that I shouldn't have any hope, I know better. And I know that there's still good reason to be hopeful. And uh, I'm sort of amazed that, you know, <laughs> here again, the bike taught me a lesson. How about you, John? How do you approach despair when you encounter it? Or do you even encounter it, you Zen master you? Um, well, you know, I, I, my first depressive spell came when I was eight years old. Uh, and those continued. Uh, you know, periodic depression continued, I mean, continues to this day, although certainly more um, under control than, than in past decades. But yeah, I've danced with depression. Um, I mean, depression and despair uh, my whole life. I think that the, um, I think that the, you know, two big, two big pivot points for me. One was, you know, learning to ask for help, mm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, fine. I would say giving up, giving up, trying, you know, not trying to hold it in anymore. And, and the way, you know, to lighten it up, I guess a little, you know, if you, if I'm on the bike and I'm with friends and I'm approaching that place, I now know to say, Hey guys, I need to slow down or I need some help. I need food. I need this. I need, whereas before my ego wouldn't let me do that stuff or fear of looking weak, uh, would keep me from saying those things. I say them pretty readily now. So that's a big deal. The other thing, uh, the other major pivot, and I use, I use, I use the analogy of a, of a traffic light. Okay. So when you approach a traffic light, uh, it tells you what to do. It tells you go, it tells you slow down, or it tells you stop. Mm -hmm. And by and large, people obey those things, right? So that at a major intersection, people aren't dying hourly. Generally, no. Yes. Yes. Generally speaking. And so there's this system in place that keeps you from dying. And I find that life, generally speaking, the way we are organized as humans in families and in friend relationships and in whatever community you're in, you don't, I used to think I had to figure everything out and I had to solve all the problems. And I think um, depression and despair can be very solipsistic, where you think you you're at, first of all, you're at the center of the universe. And second, if you don't fix things, nothing will. Right. And so despair 
sort of flourishes there. But actually, if you just do nothing, mostly your friends, family, coworkers, etc., will carry you through. Uh, and understanding that, and understanding that the people who cared for me would uh, look out for me and uh, give me help and give me space and give me time when I needed it, that was also a huge big deal. Because being alone, I think um, depression and despair sort of thrive on getting you alone. <laughs> mm, yep. You know, and it's like when your friends drop you on that ride and you're alone, and that's when all the doubt. And the fear and the despair take seed. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's a support vehicle. That's a great metaphor, actually, for <laughs> how things work. Right. Generally speaking. And so the trick, I think, it, both as a cyclist and as a human being, is to just uh, try to avoid letting yourself be too alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It, it really does. Um, you know, and it reminds me of a, a kind of a, a, a different magnitude look at this uh, that I hadn't thought of when I was originally writing this, which is that like, you know, there were times in races where like I'd been in a breakaway and I got dropped from the breakaway uh, or I was in a wickedly fast crit and I got dropped from the crit and I would I would be utterly distraught at that. And I would, I would talk smack to the guy who was responsible, uh, me. Um, and, uh, you know, I would get very down over those things. And, you know, at some point the race was over and I'd get back to my car and I'd think about it. And it's like, you know, it was just the bike race. I mean, not that big a deal. It's, you know, and most things in life are not life or death. Uh, most crises really are, are not that existential. Um, and so that's another good reminder for me. Yeah. Lighten, lighten the f up. Mm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's, I heard, learned recently that there's a difference between shame and guilt and shame says, I got dropped from the breakaway. I'm a bad, I'm bad. Mm -hmm. And guilt says, I got dropped from the breakaway. Ooh, that doesn't help my team very much. Yeah. One yep. focuses on the badness of, or the negative uh, of the behavior. And the other one consolidates it into an actual comment on the character of the person. And that's a, that's a major uh, actual that's actually a major pivot point with addiction. Addiction recovery is helping people understand that their behavior may have been abhorrent, but they can still be good people. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, just sort out your behavior, which is a much bigger thing than trying to fix your core character. Yeah. 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 One does not need be perfect. Mm -hmm. No, just do good things. Uh, and eventually... Uh, that should repair whatever damage to your character uh, people imputed to your crappy behavior. And, it's, and, and so, you know, when you do think about your life's disappointments, uh, it's important to get the context right and not take on shame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well said. Alrighty, well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. What do you have this week? Cool. 
This week, I'm picking the Vans Old School, which is (laughs) seems like a crazy thing to do on a cycling podcast. But uh, and I was at a punk rock show the other night uh, and I looked around the room and I thought if someone waved a wand and made the old school disappear, half the crowd would be walking home barefoot. But that (laughs) amused me a lot. But here's the thing. The old school has really great pedal grip. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're riding platforms, it's a great low cost stylish in my opinion uh shoe and a solid alternative to sort of designated soft sole riding shoes which can be quite expensive mm. um and of course then you get off the bike and you can walk around the 7-eleven or go to a casual wedding even uh without having to swap shoes that's just a side benefit um the the old school uh, those are California weddings mostly here on the East Coast. If you're not wearing uncomfortable shoes that are black, you're probably doing it wrong. But um, the old school is $65 in its classic form. Um, you can get the comfy cush, they call it, version, which has a thicker insole. But I like the older, thinner, slightly stiffer one for riding. Um, it comes in more colors and patterns than you can count. So there's something for everyone. If you want, if you want to get serious, serious Vans also makes a BMX old school for 80 bucks that has some tougher overlays on the top of the shoe. Uh, so that one, uh, the one knock I would say actually on the classic old school is that you'll rip them apart pretty fast. Whereas the BMX version will last quite a bit longer. Um, And I, th- I see this really as a, a pretty good, reasonable uh, flat pedal mountain biking shoe. And if you want to see uh, if you want to see that shoe in action, the BMX one, uh, go to Cycling Independent and search for the uh, ASEA, A-C-E-A BMX video featuring Dennis Anderson, uh, which we posted, I don't know, some months back. That video will blow your mind regardless of your shoe choice. But I think it's also a pretty good argument for uh, wearing Vans on the bike. <laughs> Wear Vans. You too can be rad like this. Um, That's right. Well, yeah. no, you can't. No human person is going to be rad like Dennis Anderson. But yeah, I, you know, the comfy cush, I got all excited when I saw that came out. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, a slip on and high top Vans man. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Anything that's not, you know, leather or leather adjacent is probably made by vans if it's on my feet um and uh what i didn't understand until i tried to get my foot in there is that the those new thicker insoles take up half the existing volume of the shoe yeah it's just a thicker insole it's not a much different shoe no yeah yeah uh and so i i couldn't actually get my foot in there (laughs) yeah right size still didn't fit yeah 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 um but I'm I'm with you on that. I I wear the uh, the high tops when I'm riding a BMX bike in a skate park. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all so solid choices. But I think you know it's I, I I thought about this this morning because I was looking at shoes and the options from some of the other companies are really pretty pricey. Uh, and I thought you know this isn't really necessary. I mean these are nice shoes. I'm sure they're great. Um, but Mm-hmm. yeah my local bmx guy is like there's nothing other that you need other than an old school that's what he says so i'm i'm representing 
All right. What do you got for us this week? Well, after last week's show in which we discussed the use of dropper posts uh, on Milan San Remo, uh, I got a few requests for recommendation for dropper posts for gravel bikes. For anyone who has looked into this, there aren't many choices out there, which is why I got questions. The great majority of all dropper posts are made for mountain bikes, where the seat tube uh, is generally of a diameter somewhere in the 31 millimeter range, not 27.2, which is what most drop bar bikes have. Uh, my recommendation is for the Crank Brothers Highline XC slash gravel post. It has a 27.2 millimeter diameter and it comes in four lengths. 60 millimeters, this is the this is the length of the of the dropper section. 60 millimeters, 80 millimeters, 100 millimeters, and 125 millimeters. Bonus the 60 millimeter version also comes in a short edition. That is the post portion that sticks into the bike. It comes in a short edition, so you can actually get it into smaller frames. Uh, should someone nice. of a more diminutive stature uh, want one of these, this is the sort of upgrade I do advocate having your shop install. Getting the housing length correct is a bit of a logic puzzle, but because the cable is trimmed at the remote, it's not insane. It's not impossible for somebody to do at home. The reason I recommend the Crank Brothers over any of the other options is because of its remote. Uh, it mounts below the bar. Um, uh, it mounts on the bar below the left lever and uh, can be released either from the drops with your thumb or from the hoods with the middle and ring fingers. Um, none of the other remotes have quite the same design for the thumb release. Lots of the thumb releases are kind of flat and you, you kind of pull them down. Whereas the Crank Brothers one, you more push forward with your thumb. And it's, it's just an easier movement. Um, yeah. Uh, some of them out there still mar mount on the bar top, which is... I don't know, somewhere between awful and stupid. Uh, even if you don't buy this one, don't buy one with a remote that mounts to the bar uh, on, uh, on, at the top of the bar. Um, by the time I decide that I need to settle down, I'm already in the drops. So moving my hand back up to the bar top requires some otherwise unnecessary braking. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't like that at all. Um, the post goes for $249.99, um, and Crank Brothers offers a really detailed installation guide, but I recommend before ordering, looking at their website and taking some measurements on your bike, particularly the distance from the top of the seat tube or top of the seat collar uh, to the top of the saddle. Um, that will tell you how long a post you can order. Um, and I recommend ordering the longest post you can because center of gravity is always a winner when you lower it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's taking those measurements, not, not all that difficult. Um, yeah, there will be a link in our show notes. Um, alrighty, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Um, so you're, you're excited to get out with your posse tomorrow. I am. I am very excited. Um, as I said on last week's show, I've been daydreaming uh, an awful lot about riding. And uh, 
I just hope my body will inhabit some of those daydreams and that I don't come to you next week a broken wreck. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, I'm... And you're back in, you're back in LA Thursday? Uh, Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa. Uh, yeah. Uh, so tomorrow I fly back. And uh, so this weekend I'll be uh, riding in Sonoma County again. And I'm excited about that. I've been enjoying my rides here. And the little change of scenery will be an awful lot of fun. And I'll get to ride mountain bikes again. Yay. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all righty. Uh, send us some questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.